Hi, everybody. We're in the gospel according to Luke. And uh, the theme that we have through all these messages is the gospel is for all the people. And today I want to talk to you about good news for the young and the old. I just got back from the Smoky Mountains, and what I found out when I was there was that the, 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 my allergies went away. I don't know why, but they did. Uh, and my sinus issues uh, that are part of this good old land of which we live uh, went away for a while. But I noticed they're back because as I was singing, uh, I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, I sounded like Peter Brady from the Brady Bunch when his, when his voice was changing. And I did one of those like, I will sing the goodness of the Lord. One of those. So I'm back, in, I'm back in Allegheny County for sure. Um, would you stand for the reading of God's word? It's so good to see all you. I hear we have a something like 300 reservations today between two services and 50 kids and just thank the Lord for all of his goodness. Don't you, aren't you thankful for God's blessing? Aren't you just thankful? I am. All right. Uh, Malachi chapter 4 verse number 5. As I said, we're in Luke and here we are in Malachi, but we're heading to Luke. This is going to set us up. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord and he will Turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. You may be seated. While I'm, why I'm using my MacBook Pro today is because my iPad in which I use, I lost the charger. And so uh, I went into panic and hopefully this will work today. I'm, I'm flying blind this morning. One of the many, many prophecies that pieced together God's plan to save the world through his son, the Messiah of Israel, Savior of the world, is found in those words with, that we just read. There would be a forerunner who would prepare the way. Uh, and, and this forerunner is also mentioned in Isaiah's prophecy. But here we're looking at Malachi's and we find this interesting goal of the coming forerunner. And it's seen in these verses. He, the forerunner, will do something uh, through his anointing. He will turn the hearts. He will turn the hearts of the fathers. Now that's a term that indicates not just godly men, or just fathers, it means a godly generation, elderly generation, men and women, uh, turn the hearts of the fathers who have lived a, a life of faithfulness to God. Uh, this coming one would turn their hearts, their desire, their passion for God toward a young generation called, in this passage, the children. And also a second part, he will turn the hearts of the children in a certain direction to their fathers, their mothers. That word could be generalized again, as I said, fathers and mothers, but even more clearly, the elderly, the godly elderly who have given a heritage to a new generation to build upon. I want to dedicate this message to the godly heritage that was left at Town Assembly of God by people like Sister Leek and, and others that were there before me. I want to I dedicate this to my dear, dear friends, the McDowells, who've been with me all the way from the beginning here, and others. I want to dedicate this to a man named Wallace Perry from Tuscaloosa, Alabama, who when I was a Joe College kid just out of Southeastern University, invited me over. I didn't know anybody yet, didn't have any friends, no family down there, and he invited me over on Saturday morning to eat graham crackers and honey and talk to me about the things of God. He called me Joe College all the time. He's in heaven with Jesus now. Most of all, I want to dedicate this to my great aunt, Jessie, who lived out what I'm going to be preaching on today. 
He would turn the hearts of the children in the direction to those kind of people, the fathers. And the need would be from the fathers for guidance from them to fine-tune the path of the young generation. And the young generation to turn their hearts to minister honor and care to godly elderly people. Good news for the young and the old. As we go through Luke, I want to provide for you opportunities, not create them, but provide for you opportunities to think about intentional ministry walking out what we study in Luke. Here's the first one we're starting today. It's a focus and a challenge to each of us, those of you who are watching, as believers who are part of the LOH family. Here's the thing. Wouldn't it be awesome as we journey through this amazing gospel of Luke that each of us catch the vision and do the same that we have just heard about, what the Holy Spirit wanted to do and wants to do, turning the hearts of the godly elderly toward the children and turn the hearts of the children toward the younger gener- of the younger generation toward the godly elderly. So what I'd like us to consider is practically ministering this focus so that we as a church can do this. Now, we as a church organization might be able to provide some avenues where we can do things together on this. But my greater desire, my prayer, is that the Holy Spirit will use these messages to speak to you personally about how to walk this out in your own life. So for the first ministry challenge, it's this to those 60 and older, that you would turn your hearts toward the young and career pursuers and family builders in our church. And for that age group, to turn your hearts toward the godly elderly in our church and make a real connection, real connection in a personal and practical way outside of this big circle gathering on Sunday morning. I believe that you will see, as we look at this passage today and others, how important that is to the Lord, and you're going to see it in the unfolding story, the birth of John, who became the baptizer, and of course, Jesus. So let's begin. As we are narrowing our focus now into chapter one, I want to launch this message with two points. First, when heaven came to earth, the elderly received the honor of the first invitation. Not the young, the elderly. Chapters one tell, two, tell stories of four very old godly people, two men, two women, Zechariah and Elizabeth, Simeon and Anna, and two young people, Mary and Joseph. The first angelic move was to an old man, a very old man. And prior to that, God was doing something else. He was revealing secrets to two old people named Simeon and Anna before anybody else. Therefore, four out of the six mentioned in the first chapter introducing the amazing gospel are very old people. Now, what is significant about that? Second launch point. When heaven came to earth, the elderly, the elderly were chosen to crown the young generation with the good news. I want our golden aged crowd, 60 and up, 
third and fourth quarter of life saints who are praying for overtime. <laughs> I'm right behind you. I'm right behind you. I'll be 60 in September. I want you to embrace the great possibility that God still thinks this way. Doesn't the prophet Joel agree? Old men and women will dream dreams. Of what? The plan of God to continue on after them. The elderly saints dreaming God's dream that he will anoint a brand new generation of sons and daughters, clothe them in the power of the Holy Spirit to witness the wonderful kingdom of Christ in practical, ordinary, and sometimes extraordinary ordinary ways. Simon Peter said it would be so in his sermon on the day of Pentecost. He said, your young will see visions and your old will dream dreams. The age of the Holy Spirit has not ceased. One of my dearest memories at Southeastern University was sitting in the class that Professor Ruth Bruce from England, 45 years missionary to North India. I, I, got, I took her for everything. But in our Acts class, she would say it like this, Oh, dear brothers and sisters, this book of Acts is a book not about the Acts of the Apostles. No, 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 dear friends. This book has no ending. It's a book about the acts of the Holy Spirit. We are in the age of the Holy Spirit using us, brothers, to bring in a great harvest for our King until Jesus returns. God bless her. Here we go. Chapter 1. To and for the older generation. In the time of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah, remember the detailed Luke, who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth, I tracked her all the way back to Aaron. Right? Here's how they're described. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God. Let me tell you something about God's righteousness. God's view... Now listen, there are, there are denominational views of righteousness, right? Right? You with me today? Or are you on that daylight savings time? Right? Hey, God's view of righteousness is threefold. One, it's based on following his voice. Following his voice is what makes you right in God's eyes. Second, relational. God righteousness is Relational. It's connected to doing what's right in God's eyes for other people. And third, it's a matter of the heart. Voice, people, and the heart. Heart rightness before God is not from a law or a manual or a list, but it's the love of the Spirit. That's what that means that they were righteous before God. But it also says observing all the Lord's commands, decrees, blamelessly. Now, that word doesn't mean sinlessly. It doesn't mean perfectly. It means blamelessly. And that means this. If you're walking with God in faithfulness and you slip and fall, you sin, you're blameless in God's eyes if you do what God wants. You repent. You come before the Lord and you make your sacrifice from your heart and you're, and you're looked at as doing it right. right. So it doesn't mean blameless like you never do wrong. It means that you have a heart toward the Lord and, and you bring yourself before Him 
in a progressive way. So they, they've done that their whole life, and they're very old, and they've done that to the moment we see them. And for the reward of that in their eyes, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. Here's their inner story. They wanted a child and it didn't happen. And now that dream was over in their eyes. I want us to just pause there and post the marker. We know the rest of the story. We move on. Oh yeah, but they had a... I just want to set their situation because this is important about turning the hearts to the elderly. Here's a faithful couple under the Lord, right in God's eyes, faithful and blameless in all his ways, time-tested, still faithful, even at a very old age. Luke says, very old, with a deep heartache that probably nobody knew. A heart yearning that's ended in hopelessness. Because what Zechariah and Elizabeth longed for more than anything in life was a son, a child. And that hope was gone. Why? Because they were very old. And only God could do this. But God doesn't do those kind of things for old people. Does he? So much dishonor and disgrace on a woman in that culture regarding barrenness. Imagine how long this had been going on for this couple. I want us, church, to feel this. Feel this. Don't jump to the next verse yet. Feel this. Young people, think of some of the elder saints in our church or in the kingdom or in your life who, unknown to you, buried a hope because time has passed and the season's over. They're smiling and it's real. They're living faithfully to God and it's not fake. But that deep hope about that thing is gone. Not many 65 to 85 year old men are still hoping to make the basketball team. That ship has sailed. And that's a funny thought. But this wasn't a joke for Zechariah and Elizabeth. This was a shattered dream of their hearts that had consequences within the community of faith that Elizabeth carried for years, probably decades. You know what she called it? She called it her disgrace. My disgrace is what she called it. Imagine that for years. But I remind you, this gospel is for all people. And he's coming to lift disgrace. Enter the priest Zechariah. He's chosen once in a lifetime moment to get to minister in the temple of the Lord. And people probably said, that's great, right? Zechariah, look at this amazing opportunity, because it was. We are so happy for you. We're going to get pics. We're gonna, when you come back out of the temple, we'll put it on Facebook. We'll go celebrate and have unleavened cake for you and Lizzie after church. But, and that would have been good, and they would have done it. But there's that hidden hope buried thing. Nobody knows. 
Enter Zechariah, and he never expected what was about to happen to him to happen to him. As he is perhaps lighting the incense candle, and remember, he's doing that, Luke's telling us, he experiences an angelic visitation. And the angel shows up, how many of you have been listening to me? Where was the angel? On the right side of the altar, because Luke's about details. I want to just think about something for a minute. When I was putting this message together, I just began to think, look how incredibly good God is. And can I add, he's amazingly cool. If you ask me, what a touch he has, a dazzling flare and touch. When he does the goodness of the Lord thing, it's something to see. And here's the thing, it's toward the outsiders. And the angel says to him, next verse, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Listen, for your prayer has been heard. And he's probably thinking uh, about my health and Elizabeth's health, uh, uh, about the community, about the synagogue I work in. No, no, no. Some commentators say that that word prayer uh, literally means the prayer that you no longer pray. So let's say he was saying, Zechariah, don't be afraid. The prayer you no longer pray. And let's put it in the common vernacular that I'd say it. Remember 40 or so years ago when you and Lizzie shot an arrow of hope up into the air to, have a, to conceive and have a baby? And you tried and tried and tried and prayed and prayed and prayed and kept shooting the arrows? Um, one of them stuck. Now behold the majestic grace and goodness of God in the next thing. He says this, God's heart. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. And it will be a joy and delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth. Here's what he's saying. God isn't just going to give you a child that will bring you joy. But many people will rejoice because of him, and God's many's are way beyond yours. We're in an amazing gospel here. And Zechariah answers. How's the answer? Hallelujah. I knew it was going to happen. No. He says, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. Here's the thing. Long decades of not yet that turn into it's never going to happen and there's no way can actually put the best of the faith crowd into a place where that's your response. This passage shows that some not yets and can't happen nows can't even be cured by an angelic visitation. Feel this for the elderly who have stayed faithful when they buried a real deep hope that are in our church. God knows though. Here's a credit, young, young generation. Here's a credit to Zechariah and Elizabeth. They, you know what they did during all that? They kept trucking on in faithfulness to God, even with a great letdown. 
that was not going to let up. Elizabeth kept walking blamelessly before the Lord, carrying a communal disgrace on herself. Isn't that something, young generation? Isn't that something? That angel says, I am Gabriel. Remember the Daniel story? That's me. I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, which literally in the Hebrew means I stand before the face of God. And I've been sent here. I wonder who sent him here. God. To speak to you and tell you this good news. We know the rest of that part of the story. He has a little issue with speech for a while. But then when things start to turn, Elizabeth finds out, here are Elizabeth's words. Oh, the flair of the coolness and greatness of God. Here we go, ready? The Lord has done this for me. God's massive messianic plan doesn't get mixed up. He can also do a lot of good things just for us. In these days, we know our days now, right? Because we've stopped and pla- pla- we feel it, right? We feel it. In these days, he has shown his favor. Look at this. Taken away my disgrace among the people. Do you have your own hidden, known only to you, personal disgrace? I mean, I, I do. I do. I'd say most probably do. We're all human. Even though we have Bible verses that are true and we know they're true and we believe them in our heart that tell us that we're in grace and we're forgiven and we love and he's with us and we know all that and we know it. We still have some things like that, buried hopes that never happened and And we look at this story and we shout through the ages to Elizabeth. It wasn't your fault. You couldn't help it. I mean, you couldn't make yourself pregnant. You tried. You prayed. But what about people who could help it? And now they're living for God and and that stuff's still there. Or even in the journey of God. Moments where you just didn't, you know, things we know we could have and should have done differently, but that day has passed. And you don't get many do-overs in life. Raise your hand if you agree with that. Every hand should be up. And there is that personal burden that you carry, and nobody knows except God. Jesus knows all about it. And here's the secret. He is more attracted to you over that than anything else you've ever done right. Because that's Jesus. Here's a good summary of the effect of the whole gospel in the lives of people. He has come to touch us all in a way where he shows us his favor and takes away our disgrace. Would you say this with me? Put your hand on your heart. He has shown me his favor. Come on, you in the live stream. He has shown me his favor. He has taken away my disgrace. Wouldn't it be a good ministry goal? What's your ministry goal, coffee team? Well, The reason we do coffee is not just so we do coffee. Can't you wait till we do that again? I'm on decaf now, though. But wouldn't this be a great... Here's why we do coffee. We want to show God's grace and take away people's disgrace. Hey, why do we do Shine Kids? Well, we want to show God's grace and take away people's disgrace. Why do we do life groups? 
Well, we do because it's good. We have some, especially in my life group, there's one family, they always bring the best food, and it's just awesome. I'm never going to leave that, even if God tells me I'm not leaving because they have the best, they have the best food in our life group. But, but beyond that, beyond that, beyond that, beyond that, we show God's grace, and we take away people's disgrace. In other words, we do the opposite of Satan, who disses the grace of God on everything God's touched. He's sick. He's a scornful person. He's evil. You know what evil is? You know what evil is? Evil is dissing the grace of God on everything that has God's image on it. But the good news is this. Is there anybody out there today? You're carrying a sorrow and a sadness of an unanswered prayer. Maybe you're young There are elderly people like that who love God and they're faithful anyway, and your job from this pastor and maybe the Holy Spirit, hopefully the Holy Spirit put that in me, I think he did, your job is to go find those elderly people and add grace to them. Turn the hearts of the children to the fathers. Anyone out there who feels disgraced among the culture of the faith community because of a barrenness in your soul or a lack of success in your life, and you feel more like a loser than a winner over a failure, and you regret, and you've regretted things for years gone by in which you know you cannot go back and fix. Cheer up. We're in a gospel for all people like that. Luke's gospel has people like you and me intersecting your wreckage with the heavenly potter's merciful heart. Come on, someone should raise both hands right there and just say, God hears us, he sees us, and he hasn't forgotten us. But let me give you, let me give you a pointer. I need this too. Might not be wise to wait for an angel. But perhaps God will some, some way send someone your way, or you would be willing, because sometimes our entering into grace happens by When we're in that hopeless thing, sometimes you would be willing to be sent to do what Elizabeth did. Well, what did Elizabeth do? She turned to the younger generation and empowered a a young woman to walk in the promises of God. Because God is about transgenerational impact. Someone asked me, uh, what's your vision for our church? My vision for our church is a little bit about now, but a lot of bit about later. Because I want the LOH church to be thriving 20 years from now. And I want these kids that are, that are in Shine Kids and in, in, in the nursery to be leading worship, being called to the mission field, uh, being pillars in the house of the Lord, being lovers and servers in the building, in the family, and in the world. That's what I want. God's ways and wisdom included in his providence and sovereign will sees generations and people and actions that haven't happened yet as happening. His ways, therefore, are elevated so far beyond our sight, so out of reach of our capability to comprehend the fullness thereof. And we can stumble because in our seemingly not yet and nevers, we miss it because we're not transgenerationally thinking. Yet Paul said, God will be proved right 
in all his judgments. Once upon a time, there was this teenage girl from a nowhere land town in Israel called Nazareth. Her name, Luke tells us, Mary. Hebrew, Miriam. Gabriel comes to her and announces to this girl from the lower class, the way God is going to change the world is beyond your imagination. You, without the aid of a man, will conceive a child, and he'll be called the son of the most high God. What do you think of that? And he announces that to her, and then he encourages Mary. Listen, here's where we pull Malachi all the way up. It's already been pulled up into Zechariah and Elizabeth's home. Now we're going to pull it in with Mary. He basically says to her, there is an elderly person in your family who is bursting with God action right now. And a wink and a nod, why don't you just go and check that out? This elderly woman, this young generational person filled with a, a messianic promise beyond anything she could ever imagine, looks at her and says, blessed are you. Hey, elderly women of LOH, third quarter and fourth quarters, you've walked with God for decades. I'm praying that you'll go, here they come, because they'll be coming toward you. And you say when they do, blessed are you. This attitude, this blessed are you attitude, is a sign of spirit fullness. People that are spirit-filled are, are expectant. They, they're anticipatory. They have a strong belief in the potential of the grace of God in people. They're not dissing the grace of God. Yes. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is what's going on inside you that will go beyond you. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you'll bear. Why? Imagine us l looking at each other like this. Why am I so favored that you'd come around me? Why am I so favored that Ollie Jawad would be a friend of mine? And my man Dave that does a, jo a job on the drums. Blessed is she, she empowers her. Blessed is she who be has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. What affirmation from the older to the young, right? You know what I loved about Connie Arbogast? God bless her. She was one of the first people that I met here, and she was on the board. The board was a, a lady named Ani, uh, yeah, a, a, a lady named Connie, and a, and a guy named Ernie and his wife. And I'd come up with ideas. I didn't even know what, if they were right or God, or I thought they were. And every time she'd say, sounds like a winner to me. Sounds like a winner to me. We had about 15 bucks in the pot, right, Ken? We had like 15 people, and, we were pay and people were paying out of pocket to keep the lights on. We, anything was a winner. It was basically saying, young man, Joe College, try something, because we hit the iceberg. We got to go somewhere, right? That really inspired my life. Wallace Perry would sit and hear me preach on Sunday nights at Tuscaloosa at Covenant Assembly of God on Rice Mountain Road, and I'd be preaching whatever, and he'd, just, he'd stand up and go, Amen! <laughs> he was Pentecostal. I mean, he was really Pentecostal. What affirmation from the older gen, a woman who's been lifted from her own personal disgrace, 
filled with the Holy Spirit, and she has a fresh wind message to a young person filled with eternal potential. How does Mary respond to that? Watch this. Verse 46, and Mary says, my soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For why? We're all having these these moments with God in the Gospel of Luke. We're going to see it over and over again. Here's what we know about God. He is always mindful of the humble estate of his servants. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Why? Because I got it going on? No. For the mighty one has done great things, and this gospel is for the world, but it's also for me, for you. And holy is his name. Will someone praise God in this place today? See, you didn't think I could go down into the Christmas message in the middle of the spring, or start of spring, did you? Maybe we'll do Christmas at Easter. It's part of it, right? Let me land a couple points to close. Hey, if you're live streaming, will you amen us or say where you're at or uh, I like your haircut or something, I don't know, whatever you want to say. I'm messing. Here we go, ready? When generations cross paths, when the old and the young cross paths, in their pursuit of God's promises, they both find heaven's massive plan. It's not just a personal plan. God's all about that. But there's a big story going on. The pursuit of God's promises for you and I begin as we walk to the path of the cross of Jesus. We go there more than once. Once for all salvation. Once for all. Forgiveness once for all. That's what Hebrews says. But we go back there and die over and over. We die to ourselves. We we die to being our own boss. We die to our own intentions without God. We, We die to sin's nature dominating us. And we find forgiveness over and over. We find release over and over. And we find newness over and over. And we find the gentle and lowly Jesus over and over. Another point. Nothing is common and ordinary, outdated and overlooked in the eyes of those who walk in faithfulness to God. Nothing. We're going to find common, everyday, ordinary people overlooked by the temple overlooked by the rich, overlooked by the experts in the Bible, overlooked by the, we've got it going on in our moralities, overlooked by everybody except Jesus. There's nothing common or ordinary, outdated or overlooked in the lives of those who walk in faithfulness to God. Let me just say a couple things to my older, I'm right behind you, 60 and up, third, fourth quarter, praying for overtime. Folks, put your hand on your heart. He's not through blessing you. He's not through blessing you. Number two, he's not through using you. Turn your hearts to the youth. 
Number three, you probably never see him your whole life long. Your angel. Jesus said about the, about the kids. You know when you're a kid, you have an angel, and when you grow up, they don't leave? When Jesus said, don't offend these little ones because their angel is always standing before the face of God. Right? So when, it's not like when you turn 16 and get your driver's license, he goes, well, nice knowing you. And you know what? We'll probably never see him. Don't be looking for him. And if people say they've seen him, I'm not saying you can't, but you might want to ask him, you guys doing all right? Anyway, but we've entertained angels unawares, and we'll find that out someday. Back to point three. Your angel stands before the face of God. Hey, old man, take a look at your life. Old woman, take a look at your life. Your prayers, your tears, your hopes, and your dreams, that angel has a bowl. We read the book of Revelation, standing before the face of God. And some of the prayers that you thought would be answered away, that they weren't, here's what I believe the Bible is revealing to us. God answers some of our prayers in other means, but always according to a mysterious messianic plan. And on that great resurrection morning, we will all be glad he did. And it will require faith to believe that until then. Because it won't seem right in the not yet part that we all wish wasn't real. Four, stay prayed up and fired up and bless the next generation. To the younger, hold your hand on your heart, please. Number one, fine-tune your focus in life to the will of God and learn faithfulness. David in the 37th Proverb says about trusting the Lord and having a prosperous, blessed life. One of the things he says is get, get, get locked in the land that God put you in. That's like your church family and, and the kingdom dimension. Get locked in there. Don't leave that. Don't come and go. Get locked in there and cultivate faithfulness. There is no prayer that someone can pray to zip, zap, and zaduya that makes you faithful. It's daily, incrementally faithful. Faithful. Learning faithfulness. Fine-tuning your life to a focus of the will of God and learn faithfulness. The Lord is always looking for those who will listen to his voice. Number two, invest time with elderly believers and serve them with honor. What do I mean by that? When you're around them, inquire wisdom from them. And remember, they ain't always going to look like they're glowing like uh, some great apostle and prophet. They're just, they got wrinkles and grandma look. B. Search for the sages among you, for in their counsel, you will hear from God. I don't mean they're going to say, I got a word for you. 
I know that that can happen. I'm not necessarily wanting you to think that way. Just listen to their life. Listen to their story. You've intersected paths with them, and God's going to use the things they say, and they don't even know it, the way they live, the way they work in their marriage, the way, whatever they do, how they do their life. And you don't have to necessarily copy it, but in your pursuit of God, something will be done, something will be said, and it will happen over and over again. And the more you invest, the more you'll receive. Search for the sages among you, for their counsel you will hear from God. So would you pray with me? Lord, you know each one of us and what we're going through right now. You know us completely. You know us entirely. You know those who have a my disgrace and they're walking faithful, blameless in your eyes with a lot of imperfect blamelessness. And you've come to remove the disgrace from all of us by your mercy and your grace, to place every one of us in an amazing, amazing place beyond imagination, called with you, called grace. So today we turn to you. Every saint of God who's walked a long road, every mom, every dad, every grandma, every grandpa, every Zechariah and Elizabeth, every Simeon and Anna, every 60 and up, every third and fourth quarter, praying for overtime, saint of God, we turn to you. We turn to you. Turn to us, Lord. Turn to us, Lord. Please turn to us. And help there be people from a younger generation that turn to us too. For the widows and the, and the weary, and those that can't stand for praise and worship because they can't stand anymore. But they've stood for you and for this church for years and years and years and years. Turn us to them. Older to the younger, younger to the older. Lord, the elderly, turn our hearts to the young. Some of us have watched you through the wilderness of our own life be faithful and you've helped us to learn how to fight battles in the spirit as the song sang, we sang earlier. And there are young people that are to inhabit promises on the other side of the river, but they've not been able to fight. They don't know how to fight yet. It's not their fault. They're just young. Help us not to retire yet. Help us to go out before them and help them establish their own way and say, blessed are you. You're carrying eternal potential beyond your own generation. People ask me, what's your vision for the church? That's my vision for the church. That and becoming the first Western Maryland church that's multiracial. I don't even have a clue how to do that, but it's in my heart. We turn to you. Because, Lord, there's so much disgrace that needs removed in all our lives. There's so much grace that we can find if we can hope again in the treasure of your kingdom. I want to ask you to stand, and if you need a time of prayer around the altars, please feel free to do so. But I would like you to also come praying or stay praying where you are about turning your heart toward 
And what does that all mean to you? And what's your action step? And what's your plan? Not a program that we're going to bring up. You have to do something with this. Well, you know that. If the Holy Spirit spoke to you today, you know that. And you're walking in the eyes of God in righteousness means you've heard that voice. And you're going to walk that out. And God's going to unfold that and unpack that. So, Lord, we believe it and I bless you in it. Let's pray.